This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel, a podcast focused on helping structural engineering professionals stay up to date on technical trends in the field and to help them to succeed in their careers and lives. In this episode, I will be talking to Matt about his firsthand experiences at the recent NCSEA Summit down in Anaheim, California. I am your co-host, Rachel Holland. And I'm your co-host, Matt Picardle. Now let's jump into our conversation of the week. So Matt, I'm super excited to talk to you about your experience at the NCSEA conference. I want to pick your brain and just hear all about it. I wasn't able to go this year. So tell us about your experience. How was it? It was down in Anaheim. It was close to me. So I'm in Irvine, so it's pretty close. So I didn't uh, do a hotel thing, but I think there's pros and cons to that if you're close to it. But for me, I ended up going. I really enjoyed it. I also went to the SE3 symposium. That wasn't part of it, but or officially part of it. That was a really cool thing too. The SE3 one was the structural engineering engagement and equity. They do a lot of, or I think they're most known for the surveys that they did for the structural engineering industry, but they also talked a lot about different topics as well, which was really cool. Actual NCSEA event. I really like that one this year. I usually go, so even this year, I like the way that things are going because there's a good amount of technical topics business topics, uh, like professional development topics, but also some, this year they had some more mental health aspects too, which I think was a, that was missing in some of these. I remember going when I was really a young engineer and it was all technical sessions. So I'm glad that they're getting more professional development and soft skill sessions that I think we as structural engineers face. I really like that. Which did you attend or what was offered? So in terms of the technical sessions, I obviously didn't get to go to all of them, but I really enjoyed the Miami, the Champlain Towers investigation that they did. That one, the investigators basically gave us their theory or their collapse theory, which they're able to do now since it's non-confidential anymore. And I also really liked the Turkey hospital ones where they, with the Turkey earthquake, they were able to investigate how the hospitals specifically did. That was really interesting. Those were the, also the, in terms of technical as well, ACI 19 column changes, pretty technical, or the concrete shear wall changes for those. That was helpful for me since I work with that a lot. But in terms of the soft skill business development stuff, I really enjoyed the mental health aspect one. There was a panel of what we go through as structural engineers, which was interesting because I haven't been to that one before or something like that in the structural engineering industry. Tell me more about that one. I'm curious, like how was it structured and like what were some of the topics that were brought up and things like that? Sure, for the mental health one. Is it? Yeah, so there was a, a panel of 
three engineers, different backgrounds, and some of the things that they faced. I remember the things that stood out to me were probably the most common one that everyone goes through is burnout and the the workload and the stress that goes with the job and feelings of imposter syndrome, like, oh, this is too much, overwhelmed, thinking of quitting the industry. You know, that one person that was going through that, I think everyone in the audience could relate to that. Uh, and it's something that I don't think we talk enough about just because probably not the best topic to discuss at work and and things like that. But it's something that we as structural engineers, we all go through that stuff too. And not only that, but also the stresses of just the work itself. There's a lot of liability and stress, especially if you're designing things and what can go wrong and the hardships if uh, what you're going through in life, whether you're a new engineer, you have a new family, or maybe if you're a minority or women in engineer too, some of the things that they go through that not if in a male-dominated industry, we may not know all that stuff that are going into there. So bringing that stuff up, I think for me at least, it made me realize to be more empathetic, you know, of what we're going through as engineers and what each and every one of us is is going through. But I think the takeaway for me was, yeah, we're all going through this stuff, but we can all get through it. And because there's that sense of community there in terms of, that's why I liked going into the live audience portion, because it is something that it could be isolating if you don't know that you're dealing with that stuff. But once you're in an audience and that live audience vibe, it kind of shows like, oh yeah, we're all going through this. We're all getting through it and we're not alone in that one. So I think that was pretty cool for me to see. Yeah, I feel really grateful that that's becoming, I wouldn't say like common topics, but like it's becoming more talked about, I guess we could say. I'm curious, was that something that was specific through the SE3 part of it or did NCSEA also have their own breakouts that were addressing things like that? Yeah, that was part of the NCSEA program, actually. So I think that was the cool part about it. You can see where it's not just all technical. Now we're getting more of those. So even one of the keynotes was about imposter syndrome, how to deal with that as one of the keynotes, which is pretty good too. And this panel for the mental health one was, that was part of the official program. And I think they had some more, but I wasn't able to attend those. But that one stood out to me. Like, were those the SE3 things or they were separate? Like, SE3 did some other things. Yeah, SE3 was right before the official conference. And they talked about DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. They had a good presentation keynote about why DEI is good for the business aspect of things, but also some of the things about, I guess it's people skills training on how we deal with each other in terms of in the workplace and how we can empathize more with each other. And I think at the end of the day, it's how you treat your employees, how you treat other people, how you treat your clients. So they were getting into that too, which was, it's needed because I think we get a lot of technical stuff, but then if you're all technical, then you get promoted to a manager position, then you're dealing with people now. If you're not naturally good at dealing with people and how to work with them, you may not be the best manager. And that leads to issues of you know retention and recruitment, things like that, bringing it all together. 
Yeah. And I mean, it's so much of what we talk about on this show a lot, too, is just like having that balance. You know, it can't be all technical, you know, maybe focus on that for a while. But then like you still have to have those other skills and develop those other aspects of business. Right. I'm happy to hear that that was the mental health part of it and all of that was part of the actual NCSEA program and not just something that came through from SE3. I feel like they've talked and touched on those topics in the past. So yeah, like I'm excited that like our industry is starting to accept that more as like a just a commonplace topic of discussion. I think that's what's missing in our industry. I think we got the technical stuff down, but when we're getting to the broader topics of the structural engineering industry as a whole, why are we losing people? Why are we having a recruitment and retention issue? How come we're not being paid more? Things like that. It, I don't think that's really the technical stuff. Sure, there's some, but recruitment and retention, how do you treat your employees and what are you doing to support them? That's more of the soft skills issue, I would think, in terms of how to lead people, how to treat your employees and how you take care of them throughout your career. I think one of the questions that's relevant to businesses that came up is essentially, okay, if you're doing recruitment and retention, how are you going to support that engineer throughout their entire career? Not just fresh graduate, you don't got a family, you're working all day, every day. Okay, you can support them through that. But what happens when they get a family? What happens when family issues come up, health issues come up, what happens if their significant other moves to like another area and they have to move and are they going to let them go? Like, How is your company going to support them throughout those ebbs and flows of life? And I think that's where the conversation has gone now, especially now. So I think that question was relevant to all businesses that are, are going through that if you want to retain them. The way that that was set up, was that the panel then? Was that the dis- panel discussion? For the SE3, it was a combination of presentations and there was also panels too. I remember there was a work from home panel and how that was going for different companies and the engineers. That's what I'm curious about, like the different things you're talking about, supporting an employee through the different seasons of life and their career, right? And like the work from home topics that are still happening. What was like the consensus about like how different companies were dealing with it? What were people saying? Yeah, that was an interesting one. There was a work from home panel and there were three engineers that were in leadership positions at their firm. I remember the consensus among the three of them was essentially that work from home is here to stay and it's working for them and their companies. I wish there was a another one where that was just no, work from home sucks. Uh, we're never doing it again. I'd like to hear more about that side because I think from them, they were all pretty positive about it in terms of essentially the lessons that they were going through were, yeah, you work from home. And if you're a leader in your company, you're a manager or principal, and you want people to work from home, you have to do it, but you also have to be intentional. So if you do it, more people in your company will think that that's okay since you're in a leadership position. But you also have to be a lot more intentional, intentional communication, more phone calls, having, finding ways to bolster up some of the things that you may be missing from in person. Yeah. If you're in an open office and you can hear your managers talk to clients, that's how you treat them. Okay. Well, you kind of lose that if you're not in the office. Well, what do you do about it? Well, you get your engineers to be on those calls with you, call in to these client meetings 
And yes, you're going to have to be on the phone, but you can at least hear us talk, not just in the background, but now you're going to have to join the meeting. So things like that, where it has to be a lot more intentional, but it's doable. That's interesting that you said that there wasn't any firms present in that that were like, we want all of our people back full time work from home's not working. I would have liked to hear about that. I think one of them was they do allow work from home, but they don't their office since it's it was a smaller office. That office culture was so they all want to work in the office. So the options there, but they have that culture of that it's there, but they all choose to go into the office. But then the other two were using work from home a lot. Not only themselves, I believe they were managers or principals in their firm, but also allowing uh, their employees to do it and reiterating the fact that work from home is, uh, it's not a right, it's a privilege. So if you're not good working from home, that could be revoked. But yeah, if you're doing well, what's the issue? That was kind of the consensus there. Were most of the people that were discussing that, were they in sort of like a hybrid schedule or was it like fully remote employees, like never in law? It was a hybrid. They would, I think the majority of them had come into three days a week. So it was hybrid, but there wasn't any in terms of negative connotations about it. Something else you touched on with the the DEI stuff with SE3 was the retention and like recruiting. So what was the consensus on stuff like that and the thoughts on what we should be doing to improve? Some of my takeaways was diversity, equity, and inclusion. That stuff matters. I know it definitely matters for the newer generation that's coming in. I mean, you pull up a company's website, you look at their leadership. What do they see? Do they see someone that looks like them? If not, they'll just go to another firm's website. Oh, these people look like me. I think that's the importance of seeing someone that looks like you or someone that you can relate with, that's an important part. If you don't see yourself in that position, then you're less likely to get into that position. I think it it forms kind of that unconscious bias or thoughts in your head like, oh, do I want to be a CEO of, of this firm? Well, I don't know. I've never seen someone. They're kind of going through those bias tests where if you think of a CEO of a company, what do you picture in your head? You picture a, a white male Or do you picture someone that looks like you, maybe a woman or a minority or whatever you look like or having your type of personality even? So one of those things that pop into your head that you're you're not really aware of, but it's those unconscious biases that you form. The more you see people, the more that you're exposed to these different types of ideas, cultures, different types of people, we're all different, and values, I think that could make your firm... I mean, it's important because people want to be in a firm where they can see themselves advancing and see themselves getting up into the leadership positions. Were there any takeaways about like what companies should be doing to advance in those areas? Like what are some like actual like things that you can be doing? How are people doing it? The lessons that I took away from it was... Sure, you can form the subcommittee groups, but you have to run them intentionally, right? Like uh, some firms have DEI committees, diversity committees. Those are good, but you have to have buy-in from leadership. You can have it, but if leadership isn't involved, so like the really big decision makers, they're not involved in those and you're not getting that 
type of exposure to the leadership, it's not going to do too much for your firm. That's what I got out of it. So it's in terms of not just forming one, but making sure that you have someone in a decision-making position that really cares about it and can do things to, to implement that. In terms of practicalness, it's you can go to the schools. There's a lot of bias with alumni. Maybe you went to a school, you're an alumni, and when it's time for recruiting season, I like people that look like me that went to the same school. Let's keep recruiting from this school because, hey, look, I'm here. Let's get more people in it. So I think that's good, but I think it can be taken too far too. Sure, your school may produce good candidates, but what if you tried another school? Because there's some schools that if you're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, Students from another school are going to think differently or have different backgrounds or the opportunities. Maybe they didn't have the opportunity to go to a really expensive school, but they have the personalities. Almost just changing where you're recruiting from. You're going to draw from a different pool of students or graduates. That's a good point. Yeah, being intentional about that. So that was one of the things that firms could do to broaden their reach, not just recruiting from the same alumni school that they always go to. I know we talked a lot about like the SE3 stuff and NCSEA's like kind of soft skills portions that they did. But what about just overall, I guess, would there be, are there any particular sessions that stood out as like your favorite in terms of like how informative they were or anything like that, the topic? There's a lot of good sessions. Uh, in terms of my favorite ones, I'll list some soft skill ones, then I'll, I'll go into some of the technical ones. Since we're going off the soft skills stuff, I'd say the panels where they talk about their stories and the things that they went through. I recall on some of the panels, there were women engineers, women architects that were talking about their experiences as a woman in the AEC industry where it's mostly male dominated. I think that one was good just because it gives you some new perspective of, of some of the things that you're women engineers, architects, contractors, some of the barriers that they have to go through that you may not know as a male since it's male dominated. So going through that just because, so for me, I think what's unique about my position is all of my mentors and bosses when I joined the structural engineering industry, they were all women and they still are. So when I first came to DCI, our principal was a woman and my manager at that time was a woman, and that's pretty much been you know who I've been mentored by professionally, and they've encouraged me. So I think I have the unique position of not really having experienced that, but knowing the stories that they go through and the experiences that they go through, I think it makes me a better coworker because you get to know what their points of view were and the struggles that they go through and and the hardships that they go through, and. I got a feel for that too. It was interesting. So I remember when I was a younger engineer, there was the CIOSC WISE event, Women in Structural Engineering. I think it was one of the first events that they had and they had a lot of good soft session skills. My leadership encouraged me to go to that because it was, it was leadership training essentially, right? So I went and it was about 80 to 90% females. And I went in there and it was just like, this is all females. Do I belong here. And then just having that experience is like, oh, that's what they go through every day, you know? Almost so like a, a role reversal. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. This is what it's like on the other side. 
just having that experience, I think, and having that empathy of what your coworkers have gone through or sometimes that they face, not all of them have faced it, but sometimes they do. It's good to know in terms of that. So that was a really interesting part for the soft skills. You have like kind of a unique experience, right? I think that's a shout out to DCI because that's typical, right? So your experience is obviously very different than many others. So I think it's a shout out to DCI. That's awesome. When I first went to those, it was like, what do you mean what problem that there's not enough women in, in engineering? Most of my office is women. I think that's why it's important to go to these events because your experiences may be different and you're going to be dealing with a lot of different people, different backgrounds, whether they're architects, contractors, owners. So it's good to know. That's why diversity is important. What about any of the technical sessions that really stood out as your favorites? The Turkey and the Miami Towers, those sessions were really interesting. With the Turkey hospitals, this was obviously the the big earthquakes that happened in Turkey this year. They did an investigation and one of them reported on the findings, why hospitals are so important and why they're different than other buildings. I didn't know this too. This was, I really enjoyed the session is a lot of what they have in Turkey. If you have a hospital that's a certain size, you have to base isolate it. Like that's a rule. That's the law. So a lot of their hospitals were actually base isolated. And the investigators, they compared the base isolated hospitals to the non-base isolated hospitals. And that's important because here in the US, that's not a law. We barely have any base isolated buildings. But over there, they have both of them. And it was pretty much as expected. The non-base isolated buildings, they were trashed. All of the, the base isolated buildings, they performed very well if they were built right. But the other important thing was with hospitals are the non-structural components, you know, the equipment, the the ceilings, the acoustical tile ceiling roofs, is the wall cracking. Why that's so important for hospitals, the non-structural components, maybe even arguing more than those are probably more important than the structural systems, because if you're a worker, a doctor, a nurse in the hospital, and an earthquake hits, someone, they have to make a decision within the first 15 minutes or so to either close the hospital down or continue operation. And you're not going to have a structural engineer there in 15 minutes. So a structural engineer isn't, isn't making that call. It's the workers, the people that don't know anything or not much about structural engineering. So what are they going to base their decisions on? They're going to base their decision on whether to close the hospital if everything is completely trash, if the ceiling's falling down, if there's cracks in the wall, even if it's structurally safe and still good, they don't care about that. It's, hey, this looks bad, even though it's non-structural. I'm scared here. I don't want to work here. I feel unsafe. Let's close it down. And if they close it down, then that's thousands of people not being able to get help. That's why it's so important. With the base isolated structures, since during an earthquake, it moves really slow a lot of the non-structural components were safe and they continued operation. But for the ones that didn't, they'd see a crack in the wall and they see ceilings falling down. They'd get scared and they'd close it down, even though the structure was completely safe. So that's why even particularly with hospitals, I didn't know how important the non-structural components were. So is that like a more recent rule in Turkey then? Because they were comparing non-base isolated to base isolated hospitals, right? So is that something like the more recent ones are base isolated and the older ones are not? 
I believe so. I think from the presentation, there was a good amount of base isolated hospitals already there that they were able to look at. So I believe it was a recent rule. And so they had a good amount of data for hospitals. They had a lot of good points on base isolated versus non-base isolated. So they had a lot of good data points for both of those systems. Was this the same session that they talked about one base isolated hospital in particular that had been backfilled and so it didn't work like base isolations? They mentioned one of them. I heard about that one from somebody else just recently. Was that part of this discussion? Yeah. That's why I said when they build it correctly. Yeah, they basically backfilled it. Yeah. So tell our listeners, because that's just such like a an oops, you know, like it could have been so much better, right? Yeah. With base isolated, right? For those that aren't familiar with it, they basically take a building and they put it on ball bearings, not literally, but some type of base isolation that allows it to move back and forth freely. So if you're allowing your building to move back and forth freely, it needs like a moat, right? It needs a gap between the building and the foundation to allow it to sway and dissipate the energy. But what the contractors did, they basically filled that gap or that moat with soil or backfill. It couldn't move. It would just ram into the soil and it's not isolated. It's just they turned a base isolated condition into essentially a fixed condition. So that sucked. Like if you haven't been able to go, you know, during construction or whatever and go down and see like a base isolation system, it's pretty cool. I would totally encourage people to go try to check one of those buildings out. Gosh, it was many years ago at this point, but Tipping did a addition on their engineering firm up in Berkeley. And I got to go see what they did and they did base isolation for the new portion. And it was pretty incredible to see it like in person, right? Because you're talking about essentially like ball bearings and like to grasp it on like that bigger level of how it supports the building. It's pretty eye-opening. Yeah, I haven't been to one, but that sounds cool. I've seen pictures uh, going underneath the building and seeing, oh, this whole building is being supported by these bearings. So next time DCI does one, you put your name in the hat that you want to go out and do a field visit. Yeah, that sounds really cool. I think going to conventions is like really important. I mean, obviously just the most straightforward thing is like your networking opportunities, right? And your technical skill building and all of that. But I know I was really unfortunate that we couldn't go to Seahawk this year in Maui for obvious reasons. Unfortunate in all levels. Why would you say that going to NCSEA summit or just engineering summits in general, like why do you think they're beneficial? There's a lot of reasons. I think one of them that stand out for me is First of all, I probably the most obvious one is the technical sessions. Everyone wants to stay up to date with codes. So I think that's always been there. Like you said, it's the networking. It's building connections with other engineers and knowing that you're part of a community that is going through the exact same thing that you're going through or similar things that you're going through. Because sometimes maybe you're in a, a firm and things aren't going well. You think you're alone, but then you go to one of these engineering summits where everyone's going through the same thing, you can figure out what's out there. In terms of the network, I think that's great because then that network eventually turns into your friends. And then if you go enough times, you'll have a good time hanging out with uh, the friends that you see there every year. So there's the usuals and that's that's always fun because 
you'll see the, the usual people there that they're from all over the country too. So it's really cool to catch up with them. And for me, everyone's usually friendly. It, it's I remember even last year just going, it was in Chicago. That was a fun time. You just meet random structural engineers and we'd go to a rooftop bar and, in Chicago and have a really good time there and meet some of the leadership and other engineers and what they're involved in, if they're involved in the their local structural engineering chapter and seeing what they're doing. So knowledge sharing, I think, is a huge part of it too, if, if you're involved in any organization. Even meeting the the leaders of these committees and the ones that, that run it, I think it's really inspiring to see what they're doing for the structural engineering industry. Because a lot of these, yeah, they put in a lot of work, all the committees. That's where these things get done. And they need volunteers or they need people to engineers to work on those things. And then they share it with us at these conferences. It's great. And now it's even more with the soft skills. It's more of the leadership training too. If you're a young engineer, I know they have a young leaders, a future leaders program where they know that you're a student or a fresh engineer and they have their own separate leadership training for you, I believe. I guess more from a business perspective, as a manager, as someone in middle management, it benefits me because I get to see what the trends in the industry are. So, like DEI, I didn't know how important that was. So, and sustainability as well. Sustainability was a big topic, and you even see it when when we're recruiting. That matters to them. They see our leadership, and what are we doing about sustainability? Those are the things that I think when I entered the workforce, I don't really care about, but. Now that I'm in more middle management, it doesn't matter what I care about. It's about what these new engineers are caring about and what are we doing as a firm to meet those standards, to live up to what the new expectations are. It doesn't matter what the older generation, like our times pass, it's okay, how are we going to support this new generation? Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I feel like every young person I talk to is it's all about sustainability, which, you know, that wasn't the trend 20 years ago. So I like hearing that. And I like seeing how the companies are reacting to that, right? Because it matters. And you were saying that the leaders are inspiring. And I find also that when I go to these types of events and conventions and the parties in the evenings and all of it, I just feel like it's so motivational. Sometimes, you know, like you said, we're all going through like our own things or whatever, but oftentimes it's very similar to somebody else's experience. And I think you can get bored, burnout, you know, all the different things you can call it. You maybe lose sight of like why what we do is so important. And then you go to one of these and you're surrounded by all these people that are just like motivated and excited and looking into the future of where we're going as a profession and you kind of like get reinvigorated and you're like, yes, like this is super important. And I'm like so excited I'm a part of it. Ashraf was there and he did his CSI party. So just hearing him talk about it, definitely encouraging, very motivational. And you're right. It's you're there with other engineers that care about the profession, that are passionate about the profession. And maybe you're going through a downward trend or demotivated, but hanging around other people, other engineers that are so excited and so excited to share what they're going through, or maybe they're presenting the cool projects that they're doing and the things that the structural engineering industry is doing, some of the innovations that we're going through and the advances. It's it's really exciting to see, oh, this is the structural engineering industry as a whole and look at all the cool stuff that we're doing and how much of an impact it's making. It's refreshing, I guess. I can't remember if it was last year at Seahawk or 
the year before, and I can't even remember who the presenter was, but I remember somebody saying like, oh, we're so much more important than doctors. Like they save people one person at a time. And like we can save, you know, with like a big building, like thousands of people at a time, you know. And I remember that kind of like registering in my brain being like, yeah, like that is really important. (laughs) Like I need to keep that in the forefront of my mind in terms of staying like motivated. Yeah, it's even with the turkey thing, it was uh, exactly with the the casualties. I mean, how many lives could have been saved if they had properly constructed buildings, engineered buildings? I know they have good structural engineers in Turkey, even with the hospitals, with the base isolation systems. But if all those buildings were built up properly and engineered properly, I think a lot more lives could have been saved, even with the hospitals. Because if one hospital shuts down because of Maybe the structural engineers didn't put base isolation systems. If the hospital shuts down during an emergency, it's devastating because that whole area is unsafe. What happens? Yeah, lots of lives. It's really important what we do. Any other like last parting things you wanted to share about your experience at the convention? Or I like going to those because for me, it's meeting the different types of people. It's learning what their experiences are going through. And that's one of the things that I always like about it. I always learning something new, uh, even with the earthquakes and some of the things like, I feel like I've designed enough buildings, but whenever you go there, you're inspired by these different types of projects where, oh, that's a cool project. <laughs> what did the architect make you do there to, to do that type of engineering and some of the hardships that we go through. So I guess my final advice or if you're young, apply for those future leaders programs. That's a great way to attend your first conference because you're with other younger engineers, younger students. They probably don't know that much about the industry as well. So that's a good starting point out. Yeah, I really enjoy those and highly encourage anyone. I encourage all people to attend uh, wherever you are in your career. I think it can be beneficial, but for a younger person, like being aware of the fact that those programs are out there. And like oftentimes they set you up with a buddy while you're there. So you maybe don't feel so alone. They have like designated events specifically for you. So you'll meet more people that are kind of in the same season of their career, you know, like a little bit early on. I don't know all the specifics of it, but oftentimes they'll help supplement the cost of it. So all in all, like if you could take advantage of that, I think there's only good that can come from it. Yeah, it's free money and it's a free trip to wherever tell that. It might be Vegas next year. They hold it at cool places. Yeah, we'll include the link so people can like look and see and check with their companies and see if they can get the time away from the office. And Yeah, and if it's your first time going and you don't know anybody, I'll be there next year. I like hanging out with uh, engineers, so it should be fun. Did you go to Disneyland? I didn't go to Disneyland. I've already went. I met my quota this year. What was? Did you notice if a lot of other people were taking advantage of the fact that it was in Anaheim? I know there was a good amount of people. Uh, some of the keynote speakers were, hey, I'm speaking, but my family's at Disney. But I'm going to go there after. Uh, it's fun. Thank you so much. I totally appreciate it. Thanks, Rachel. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We'd love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. To leave them, please visit structuralengineeringchannel.com. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as any links that we mentioned during the episode. 
Don't forget to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, we wish you the best in all of your structural engineering endeavors. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.